0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wilds cast. Today, we're going to be rebroadcasting a lunch and learn that Rabbi Wilds gave on Facebook Live. Today's topic was some pre Passover inspiration.
1: I want to take this opportunity to wish a happy birthday to uh, um, to uh, Ezra Cohn, Rabbi Ezra Cohn. It's his birthday today. Jill, also, um, can you just give me um, uh, Shmuel Bodenheimer's, Bodhi's father's name? Yeah. Um, I just did it. I just We taught a class before. I'd like to dedicate our Torah and our learning uh, to the Refor Shlema of, um, of uh, Shmuel Bodenheimer. Bodhi, our dear friend's father, um, has got corona and is uh, really battling this in a very serious way. So we want to dedicate our Torah study to... Um, um, to uh, to the Ravushleima for his dad. We'll get you the name. Um, I hope everyone had a beautiful Shabbos. Jason Tobias, what an honor and pleasure to learn with you. It's a weird thing. Um, I get indications from a lot of people that you're watching, and then I find out other people tell me that I'm watching, but it doesn't. It didn't come up.
0: Mark, it's Shlomo.
1: Okay, here, but it's okay. Just just keep commenting and keep giving me thumbs up. It shows me you're out there in Facebook land. Shlomo. Zalman, Zalman, Ben, Chaya, Chaya. no, Rijna oh, uh, Shlomo, yeah, it says on, the, on his post, it says Ruzhah, no, it's Ruj- Ruzhah, Ruzha. so it's Shlomo, Zalman, Ben,
0: Chaya,
1: Would Ruz- like that's uh, Bodhi's dad, um, who uh, needs a for Shlema, and I'd like to dedicate the Torah that we are studying now towards uh, complete recovery for, for Bodhi's father. Please God, and of course for everyone attracted this um, this virus, and uh, we believe that when we study Torah together and we perform a mitzvah together, we give tzedakah. We perform acts of chesed. Uh, please also uh, mention this before to try to give charity during this time. I know we're hurting a little, but a lot of places are hurting as well. MGE appreciates whatever support you can provide at this difficult time. Um, And to give charity to other, you know, needy uh, organizations and people. Okay, great. Uh, My son wrote a song that he sang last night after Havdalah called Imagination. Welcome, Jonathan Finkelstein. Pleasure to have you with us. And uh, it's somewhat of a creative idea. And as I say, it's going to require a little of your imagination. And just stick with me. Um, I'll just leave it with that. But it's a great way to get into the whole issue of Passover and of redemption, really, and something that can be inspiring during this weird period of time that we're all experiencing. So an Olympia airline plane lands in Athens, Greece. A very old man steps off the plane. It is none other than Socrates, the great Greek philosopher, who is a very old man having been away from his homeland for hundreds of years. And Socrates gets off the plane, and a young Greek porter at the terminal runs over to help him and to give him some assistance. And he asks the old man, can I take your bag? And Socrates looks down at the young man and he asks him, what language are you speaking? And the young porter answers, Greek. He says, Greek? That is not our classical Greek that we've spoken for centuries. And the young man looks back at the old man and he says, this is how we speak Greek today. I studied a little classic Greek in university. That anymore? The old man leaves the airport to visit his homeland. And to his dismay, he sees almost nothing familiar. He looks for the usual Greek idols that used to line the streets of Athens like Zeus and Hercules, but he sees nothing familiar. Instead, he sees a Greek Orthodox Church, a completely different religion. He hears people talking, but no one's speaking his classic Greek language. He has nothing in common with these people, just geography. Welcome, David Poppers, David Wurttemberg, Marcus. Pleasure to have you guys with us. And that's one plane that lands. There's another plane that lands, and this one in Rome, Italy. Welcome, Casey Levine. Good morning. An old man of great Roman descent steps off the plane and his name, none other than Julius Caesar. A young Italian porter runs up to greet the old man. Can I help you with your bag? And the old man, Caesar asks, he says, what language are you speaking? And the young porter answers, Italian. Italian, but why are you not speaking Latin? Which is the classic language of our people. Latin, the young man chuckles. Nobody speaks Latin anymore. Some people still study it in the universities, but we speak Italian. And the old man asks to be taken to his old hometown, the legendary city of Pompeii. And he sees that there's nobody there anymore. It's like turned into a big museum. He goes to the old Colosseum where he used to sit with his friends, with his countrymen. And now it's just a museum for tourists. And he learns that Rome is no longer an empire, but it's just another capital, in some country called Italy, and that the Rome of today is not the Roman Empire of yesterday. One last plane, and you guessed it, this one lands in Ben Gurion Airport near Tel Aviv in Israel. A very old man steps off the plane. It's a man who's never visited Israel in his life, And an Israeli porter climbs up the stairs to greet the old man and he says to him in Hebrew, Shalom Aleichem, and the old man answers, Aleichem Shalom, they have the same language. The young Israeli porter asks the man, who are you? And the old man answers, I am Moshe, Moshe, the son of Amram, I was never before in the land of Israel. I died in Moab on the east bank of the Jordan River after leading my people in the wilderness for 40 years, but I know that this is the land of my people. What is your name? The old man asks the young Israeli porter. And the man looks up and he smiles, Moshe. My name is also Moshe. We have the same name. I was born in Egypt, the old man says. Where are you from? And the young Israeli porter says, I'm from Georgia, which used to be part of russia and now i live here in israel can i take your suitcase and the old man says oh my suitcase you just reminded me i forgot to bring with me my tefillin do you know what tefillin are and the porter rolls up his sleeve and he shows them the seven marks on his arm from the tefillin that he had just donned that morning my tefillin are right here in my locker i'll go get them for you Old man you have tefillin the tefillin, that I helped give the Jewish people over 3,000 years ago. I'm just curious, do you know what's written inside the tefillin? And the porter looks up and he says, of course, what else? The Shema. The Shema, and the old man thinks to himself, the Shema, the words that God had given Moses, had given him years earlier to reveal to the Jewish people. Unbelievable. Despite the fact that so many people ruled over our nation, the Egyptians, the Syrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Mamelukes, the Turks, the Arabs, the British, the Jewish people remain. One of the things that we say and by the way we don't just remain we're still speaking the same language we're still giving our children the same names and we are still carrying on and reciting the shema and donning our tefillin we had a zoom class this morning at mje Minyan madness we're putting on tefillin and one of the things that we say in the haggadah we're going to literally say next week wherever you are for your seder that in every generation our enemies may raise up against us to destroy us. but God saves us from their hands. This famous phrase from the Haggadah, from the Seder, is not just a statement of history or fact. It's really also a statement of our theology. It's part of our belief system that we survive the Greeks, and the Romans, and that the Tefillin and the Shema, and that we still have these things today. It's not random. It's not coincidence or happenstance. It's because of the divine providence, what we call in Hebrew the Hashkacha, because we believe God involves himself in history and somehow ensures the continuity and the survival of the Jewish people. We never for a moment imagine that our continued existence against all odds is some kind of fluke of history. I don't have the quote before me, but many of you are familiar with the famous line written by the the great American writer Mark Twain, who in 1898 wrote how the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks who they filled the world with splendor and dream stuff, but they somehow faded away and they're lost in the milky way of stardust but the jew somehow somehow still continues to be how do we explain this how and this is a question that we should ask at our seder tables how does the jewish people living as a minority amongst a majority culture not succumb to what every other minority people have been subject to throughout the nations and throughout the millennia one of two things has necessarily happened to every minority group living amongst a majority culture. Either that minority group either completely assimilated and just became part of the larger culture of the majority in which they were living or they were, God forbid, annihilated. And that has happened to virtually other nations. That's why the Dalai Lama famously can, can, um called upon a group of rabbis when he was isolated in Tibet by the Chinese government and he was trying to figure out how can a minority group remain distinct and true to their identity living amongst the majority culture without either completely assimilating culturally or physically being annihilated. And you know that we've come incredibly close to both. So many times has the Jewish people been subject to so much persecution, anti-Semitism, cultivating, culminating rather in a Holocaust. And somehow we're still here to talk about it. And not just to talk about it, but we're here thriving and observing how many synagogues have been closing because of Corona. You know, you start to realize how powerful the Jewish community is when you, when, when you have to actually shut it down. Today I got a, an email from Ariana, I don't know if Ariana is, on, is listening, she comes in many times, Ariana, Ariana Shudrick, our dear friend. Her dad is the chief rabbi of Poland. He lives in Warsaw. It's one of the last synagogues to have a minion because Poland wasn't as hit by this, but he emailed me today and a number of other rabbis that he had to close, uh, that they're closing, like Mincha today was like their last prayer service as a synagogue. And you realize how all over the world we still are, even back in Poland. They tried to destroy us. They built concentration camp after camp in Poland, and there's still a minion there, run by our own Rabbi Shudrik, our friend. And that is not some sort of coincidence. We believe God involves himself in history and somehow ensures the continuity and the survival of the Jewish people, and the Ramban, the great Nachmanides wrote. Other Rishonim as well, that this is the fundamental lesson of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, of our exodus from Egypt and of the Seder, to impress upon ourselves the Jewish belief, not only in a God of creation, but also a God of history. We don't simply believe in a God that created the world at one point and set it on automatic timer, but a God that continues to intervene in the world. And I wanna share with you a deep Kabbalistic tradition that I just studied with uh, one of my sons yesterday because when you and I create something let's say i have this stender here i have this little podium yes rabbis have podiums even in their home and uh, we were using this last night for havdalah rested the prayer book on it so if i create this if i create this podium right i can say that i, I took all these different pieces of wood and i put them together and i created a beautiful podium okay wonderful but it's not what's called A creation ex nihilo, that's Latin for a creation of something from nothing. In Hebrew they call it yesh me'ayin. Yesh means something, me'ayin from nothing. When human beings create, we create out of pre-existing matter. We merely take something that already exists, we manipulate it in some kind of way so that we can make something meaningful and beautiful. And because we create from something, once we create this item, we can just put it down and walk away from it. We can ignore it. We can literally put it in the basement and make believe it doesn't exist and it will continue to exist no matter how we relate or don't relate to that item. Masha'enken, as they say in Hebrew, not so with God himself. When it comes to God's creation of people and of things, the world itself, we believe because God creates from nothing, that, that that something cannot continue to exist until unless God continues to relate to it. And the minute, the second that God stops relating to anything that the Almighty has created, that item ceases to exist. And that includes me and you, and that includes all of the physical world. And that's why we say every day in our prayers, HaMechadesh B'Tuvot B'chol Tamid God who renews his creation each and every day, the work of his creation. Meaning that God almost has no choice if he wants to keep something alive, you and I. If he wants to keep the world alive, Hashem has to continue to relate to it. And that is the lesson of Yitzit Mitzrayim, of the Exodus from Egypt. The Exodus from Egypt was the first time that God demonstrated that he didn't just create things, but that he stays involved in things. It was the first time that we see in history God coming to the aid and to the benefit of an oppressed, victimized people that called out to Hashem for help. We can't take this anymore. Please, God. And that's what we're doing now when we call out to Hashem to pray to God for a refuah shleimah, for Bodhi's father, for all of of our friends and colleagues who've contracted this, this corona. We pray to Hashem, why? Because we don't believe only in a God that creates, but we believe in a God that stays involved and that's listening to our prayers and that's intervening in history. And that is why the Exodus, my friends, is so important to think about every day of our lives. We don't just celebrate it once a year in Passover and sit around and recreate it with a Seder. We think about the Exodus every single day. The third paragraph of the Shema, it's in there. For Katamazon, the grace after meals, it's in there. It's one of the two verses in the Torah that describe why we observe the Sabbath. We keep the Shabbos to remember that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, but we also create, we also keep Shabbos to remember. You'd see at rhymes, remember the Exodus. I want to welcome everyone that's come online. Thank my dear friend Ari Solomon for his chizuk. Ari, I watched your other music last night. It was beautiful. My cousin Ronda from Israel, Jasmine. Uh, Jonathan Edelman, um, oh, wow, Shoshana Honigman, Philip, Sandy Finkelstein, Gila Goldsmith, everyone else that joined on. Um, This is kind of what they used to do in Romper Room, mention everyone's name, uh, but I'd like to be compared to a Peloton coach instead. Keep bicycling, keep doing it. You can do it, you can do it. Mention everyone's name. I really appreciate you guys joining and learning together. This is such a fundamental idea. and This is why we go crazy about the Exodus, Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Because it's such a fundamental belief that Hashem didn't just create the world, put it on automatic timer and take off. By the way, there are people who believe that. Einstein, who was, everybody knows, the most brilliant scientist, 20th century, maybe in a hundred years before him, he believed in a God of creation. He wrote about it. And he wrote about it in his memoirs and he was quoted but he didn't necessarily believe in a personal God. That is a fundamental Jewish teaching that God created the world and he stayed involved. And that's what the Exodus comes to teach. And Rav Hirsch, the great German Jewish philosopher wrote that that is exactly the message in the mitzvah of matzah and the prohibition to eat chametz. What is the reason the Torah gives us for eating matzah? My dear friend, Charles Sankwich, just joined on. Welcome, Charles. What is the reason the Torah gives us for eating matzah? Who can think for a minute? Think back to Hebrew school, think back to something you heard at MJE. whatever. Why do we eat matzah, this cardboard tasting quasi bread, unleavened bread, why? If anyone wants to post it, what is the reason that the Torah gives? I'll keep talking for another minute, give you a chance to post if you'd like. What is the reason that the Torah gives for why we eat this matzah? So the Torah says because in a haste, you left Egypt because you didn't leave Egypt slowly. You actually left quickly. So Jonathan Brody is saying to remember the Exodus. But what aspect of the Exodus are we reminded of when we eat matzah? The haste, the haste in which we left. We ate it as we wandered the desert. Actually, close, Jason Tobias, thank you so much for that suggestion. Our our ancestors ate matzah actually as slaves. One of the reasons why we break a piece of matzah at the Seder, we'll talk about this later in the week, is because it's considered poor man's bread. It takes a long time to digest, and the ancient pharaohs would feed it to their slaves. You know why? Because the last thing that the pharaoh wants his slaves to do is to dine for too long. They want to be able to give them food and get back to work, because the more time that the slave has on his time to think about his situation and to try to dream for a better tomorrow, right? and and, and to try maybe even to plan an escape, that's not what they want. So the pharaohs fed our ancestors um, lechemoni, this poor man's bread, And that's one of the ideas why we eat matzah, to recall the slavery. But you know, matzah is very interesting. Jason, matzah is not just eaten to recall the slavery. Matzah is also eaten to recall the redemption, the freedom. Because what were the Jews doing when we were involved in, what were the Jews doing when we were involved in trying to get ourselves out of Egypt? We were involved in baking bread. Why were our ancestors involved in something as mundane as baking bread when they should have been leaving Egypt? If we knew we were gonna get out, why don't we just go? Why were we baking bread? And Rav Hirsch writes that the fact that we left in a haste and we were involved in something as mundane as baking bread demonstrates that this was not some kind of revolutionary movement of the Jews against the oppressive Pharaoh regime. No, we had no idea when we were going. We were slaves. And we just worked and baked bread and did everything that we were doing in our regular everyday lives. And then one moment, God came to our ancestors and he said, drop the bread, you're leaving now. And what does that show? It shows that this was not some kind of revolution. We've had periods in history where we have revolted. The Hanukkah story is a very good example of that. Where we had enough from the Greek empire and we just pushed back and we fought back. And it was the Jewish people. And I would say the same thing The modern-day Maccabees in Israel who protect our borders, who revolted against the British, fought against the Arabs in order to be able to create a state of our own. We didn't wait for God, so to speak. We took matters into our own hands, and that is a very, very positive thing, but that's not the story of the Exodus. Our ancestors were like children. They were enslaved, they were victimized, and they didn't push back. God did, and that is what's symbolized by the fact that we left in a haste. The fact that God was behind that event. God was orchestrating things. And our ancestors, the Jewish people, were, ma- were passive. Ki b'chipazon mitzrayim, in a haste you left Egypt. The Jewish people left in such a rush. The bread that they were baking didn't have time to rise. Why is that important? Because it demonstrates it wasn't a revolution. It wasn't a human endeavor. It was a godly one. The Jewish people were passive. God was pulling the strings and that's what matzah comes to symbolize that God is behind this event and God is behind every event. Hametz represents just the opposite. Hametz represents a certain attitude of arrogance, that it is our role in the world that determines everything and that we push all the buttons. Hametz is bloated you ever see a piece of bread relative to a piece of matzah? Matzah is modest, it's humble. Chometz is bloated. And that's why we make such a big deal. of see it Mitzrayim, the Exodus, so many references in our prayers. And on top of it, we have the Seder to re-experience that event because we have to constantly remind ourselves because we can't see God and things look random. Everything, my friends, happens for a reason in life. Nothing happens as happenstance, nothing happens as a coincidence. I remember years ago, I walked into Mincha at the Jewish center where MGE is based. I Just needed to pray the afternoon service and I came a few minutes early. And lo and behold, I see this young American soldier sitting in his army uniform waiting for Mincha to start. And I approached the soldier and I introduced myself. And he told me his name was Sandy Cohen and he had literally just completed a 12 month tour of duty in Afghanistan. And he literally just come from the airport and he wanted to stop off in a synagogue before going home. And he said to me, I needed to say thank you to God. He says, I'm not a religious man, but I do believe in God. And I wanted to thank Hashem for keeping me safe over the last year. And he told me that he had seen a lot of bloodshed and he was literally a hundred feet from a suicide bomber who blew himself up and killed two of his comrades, two of his friends in the army. And I handed him a prayer book and I noticed how well he followed the service. And he told me that when he came to Afghanistan a year earlier, he wasn't very religious, but that after that incident, he felt he should start becoming closer to God. He totally saw what happened to him, or thank God what didn't happen to him, in personal terms, and therefore he wanted to thank God personally. And for him, that menchah service was his personal way of saying thank you to Hashem for protecting him. This is such an important story I wanted to share with you for now. Because if we are healthy, and yeah, I spoke to a friend of mine this morning who said he hasn't been out of his house in three weeks. And I said, it stinks, it's so unnatural, it's not a healthy thing to be spending so much time indoors. But I said, thank, thank God you should recite some prayers that you're able to just sit at home and you can watch some Netflix and call your friends and Zoom in on a class or Facebook Live a class. And that's what Passover is about. And that's really my only consolation to those of you and to those of us that can't have the Seder with the people we really want to have a Seder with. Spend a little time at the Seder, just thanking Hashem for being alive and knowing that by remaining alone and keeping to the social distancing that the CDC and everyone is telling us to follow, if it's keeping us alive, even if it's making us lonely, and it is. And we need to acknowledge that, that this is very difficult, it's unhealthy, it's not something we would ever ask anyone ever to do. But if it's keeping us alive, that's the most important thing. You have to look at yourself, at your Seder, and I think this year is gonna be the easiest time to feel that, ki'ilu hu yatsan mitzrayim, as though you yourself were a slave in Egypt. You yourself, because whatever mitzrayim situation you find yourself in, And you know the word Mitzrayim is not just a geographical location, Egypt. Mitzrayim is a deeper concept in Judaism. The word Mitzrayim comes from the Hebrew word Metsar, stress. It really means a stressful situation. It means constrained. It's the opposite of expansive, of being open. It's being confined because we know that we all have Mitzrayim types of situations in our lives. It could be a terrible, bad personal habit it could be something, a relationship that has gone wrong in your life. It could be something else that is really keeping us enslaved to some force that we feel is controlling us and that we can't shake loose. Egypt, get ourselves out of Egypt. We all have an Egypt. We all have a Mitzrayim. Could be our ability to earn a livelihood, a kind of shalom bias of peace in the home. You know, there are a lot of families. That are stuck in close quarters with each other, having a hard time working out issues. You know, not so natural. I have two boys home from college, and it's really wonderful on one level. It really is. And I feel very, very blessed to be able to spend more time to be able to study Torah every day with my boys, with my kids, with my daughter. But it's not always so natural. 22 year old, a 20 year old to be living at home. I'm thinking to myself, when I was 22, (laughs) I love my parents very much, very warm and close relationship. I was stuck home with them for all these weeks. Oh my God, how many bones would be broken? How many dishes would be shattered? And I'm exaggerating a little, but not so simple, but trying to keep our eye on the ball, but to recognize that Hashem continues to play a role in our lives in everything that we do and if you're going back to the original story those of you that tuned in in the beginning when i was telling the story if moshe Rabenu, moses himself <clears throat> unlike socrates or caesar were to join us at our seders next week and maybe think about that maybe you can never replace a parent can never replace a grandparent an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or just a good friend that you have the seder with every year If Moses would be at our Seder, I think he would feel more at home than ever. And if that doesn't reflect divine providence, if it doesn't demonstrate God's continued hand throughout human history, that we are saying our Seder in the same language, we have the same traditions, we have kept the Jewish people going all these years. And by observing a Seder again this year, you'll be doing just that. You will be moving the Jewish people into the 21st century and continuing to observe your Judaism the same way it was observed thousands of years ago by none other than Moses. And by keeping to social distancing and by doing everything that we do to truly observe and to keep ourselves alive, we are upholding another biblical imperative. W'shmartem et nafshotechem which means, and you shall guard your soul, which according to the Talmudic tradition refers to your body, to treat your body in a healthy fashion. And I've said this a few times. By the way, I have no clock or watch in here. So if anybody wants to just shoot me the time, I'm just going to keep going on and on. I know we have a few more minutes. I want to get a little sense of what time it is. I want to welcome Heath. Oh, Great to have you learning with us again, Heath. And Lauren and RG, Uh, I don't even know who RG is. I'm sorry. You'll tell me afterwards. And everyone else that's been joining on here. But it's an incredible opportunity that we all have to keep Judaism alive and to keep ourselves alive. Uh, Because that's one of the most paramount, um, paramount mitzvot in Judaism. Um, You know, somebody uh, knocked at my door yesterday on Shabbos. And I didn't know what to do. I'm used to a lot of people knocking on my door and just inviting them in. And uh, I can share this with him, but it was my good friend Adrian who comes to MGE all the time. And I saw Adrian and when he saw me, he immediately took a few steps back, gave him, gave ourselves a six feet. (laughs) And I said, Adrian, I'm not sure what to do here. It's Shabbos, I can't call a doctor to find out if you can come in or not. I'm not carrying anything, he told me. He's not carrying anything, theoretically, but who knows? Who knows? And um, so I said, you know what? Stay in the hallway. I'm gonna give you my chair. And I wanna thank my next door neighbor who was very, very kind because Adrian sat six feet from my door and I and uh, Ezra, my son Ezra, they're good friends, um, sat six, feet at least 6 feet away from him. He was up against the other door and we were here and their door was closed, ours was open. And we had a conversation literally for like an hour and a half. <laughs> and one of the things Adrian was sharing was that not only is it important to keep ourselves alive by practicing social distancing, but what an unbelievable opportunity to cut some bad habits that also might compromise our ability to fight this thing if God forbid somebody contracts Corona. I have a lot of friends, not a lot, a few friends who've gotten Corona, thank God they're fine. But their immune systems were strong. And Adrian shared with me, smoking, vaping, all of these things really make it more difficult, significantly more difficult. Jill called um, uh, Remy, uh, one of our MGE fellows from last year, a dear friend. She's a medical student to see. There was some Harvard study um, about how dangerous continuing to vape, continuing to smoke, and all these habits that we become addicted to, these vices that we have. And Adrian was walking around Central Park, he told me, and he started just from a distance telling people who were smoking in a nonchalant, non judgmental, respectful manner you know that that's gonna make it much harder for you to fight this thing if you get it. And you know what dawned on me when he said that? Hit me. Hit me that if someone during this period of isolation, somehow that can get into his mind, you know, because nicotine is addictive and it's it's difficult to, to break. Maybe this just scares someone enough into quitting smoking, so that by the time this isolation is over, this person, Please, God, did not get Corona, but now was able to, to drop this habit of smoking. How amazing is that? And I just wonder how many other things, how many other bad habits, not just physio- physical ones, but emotional ones or spiritual ones, we can get start getting ourselves into a routine, positive things, negative things. I said to somebody on the phone last week, she's really struggling with Hebrew, right? Never learned how to read Hebrew growing up. And now is always praying everything in English. And I said, you know, I've got so much extra free time on her. Her job was like cut in half. She's still, thank God, getting a a salary, but it's a reduced salary and she only has to work like half a day. What do I do the other half of the day? Oh my God, I said. Open up the prayer book and start breaking your teeth on the words. Take the Asher Yatzar prayer, the prayer we say when we come out of the bathroom and start, start, if anybody's got the time, by the way, uh, Sybil, welcome Sybil. Um, and uh, Matt Solomon is here, and everyone else. Uh, if anyone's got the time, just post the time for me so I can see how far along we are. But what an opportunity. Can you imagine? I mean, I was thinking about this also. People are kind of going on diets, people are doing, uh, I don't know, different types of videos for weight loss. Can you imagine if, like, during this period of time, I don't know if somebody, if that was a value for someone, they wanted to lose a certain amount of weight, they're able to do that. Or get into a routine of exercising in a common weight 114. Thank you so much, MGE. <laughs> I assume that was Maya or Rachel. Um, what, what an amazing thing that this, this period of time of isolation will not simply be waiting it out. It will be an opportunity for growth, spiritual growth, physical growth, emotional growth. And if we can use this period of time, like Adrian was sharing with me yesterday, to kind of lick a a bad habit and get used to not smoking, whatever it is, and why are you doing it? Because you need it to fight. You need your immune system. You know, um, 100 sit-ups every morning and every night. Okay, that's quite ambitious, (laughs) 100 sit-ups, but think about that for a minute, how how productive this, this, this time period can be or working on a relationship that has gone a little south that has could use some repair. And now maybe you have some time. People are feeling a little more vulnerable, um, a little more insecure. Sometimes in that state, we can talk to people in a way that we otherwise couldn't. We're not in the same room with them. Take that into account. That's not always so great. But it's really an opportunity that we really have to work on things uh, and i encourage you it could be reading hebrew it could be studying torah um, catching up on some whatever it is that is your mitzrayim we all have a mitzrayim we all have something that keeps us enslaved and this is a very important way to think about egypt and the exodus from egypt it's not simply some old news Like, come on, we're not the only people that was enslaved and subsequently emancipated. Why do we constantly dwell on the fact that we started out as slaves? And I'm going to be sharing other ideas over the course of the next couple of days about other powerful contemporary lessons about slavery and what it has to do with our lives today. But one of the lessons I want to give to you today is, number one, is to teach us that God is involved in our lives. He didn't just create us. Every single day is a new day. Every day, God is Machadish Pituvo. He renews in His goodness the, uh, the the world. He recreates the physical world every day. We are recreated when we were born when we are awoken in the morning, which is why we say Brachot, We're thanking God because we are considered briot chadashot. We are considered new creations every day. That is a fundamental Exodus teaching. That God's involved in the world. He answered our ancestors cries for help, he came to their aid because God didn't just create the world, set it on automatic timer and take off, he's still involved. That's lesson number one from today. Lesson number two I'll leave you with is that the word Mitzrayim doesn't just mean Egypt, enslavement for our ancestors 3,500 years ago. It means enslavement for each and every one of us today. What is your Mitzrayim? What keeps you down? What keeps you confined? and how can we use this period of isolation right now that just gives us more time to focus on some of those things. Maybe we can't fix them all, but maybe we can pick one thing. Maybe we can pick one thing that we can work on to enable us to get out of our Egypt. We've got at least a week, it's uh, Passover is a week from, I think, Wednesday night. We got a week. Start cleaning your home, start, ridding your home of the chametz. Uh, I'm gonna give everyone the opportunity actually to sell your chametz. I'll start listing uh, the the chametz sale form. You can sell it to Shuki. Uh, Rabbi Joshua Klein is doing that on behalf of MGE and that will be able to enable you to not be in ownership of that. We'll talk about that as we continue on with the week as well. As you're getting rid of the chametz and getting yourself out of Egypt, ask yourself, What is one thing that's keeping me enslaved? One thing that's keeping Mitzrayim, Mitzar, constricted? And what can I do during this period of time? I might as well make it productive. I might as well grow from this moment and try to work on it. Something that you think you can make some progress on. I think that's a great message to start our week off on. I want to thank all of you guys for sharing. I'm sorry I didn't really have, like, sort of questions and answers so much. Um, Um... Oh, Jason Tobias, manna in the desert, right? I got that before. We ate the manna to sustain ourselves in the wilderness, but the ancient pharaohs would feed the Jews matzah because matzah takes a long time to digest. Anyone who's eaten a lot of matzah knows this personally, and and some of the sages teach, and that's because they could eat it and get right back to work Um, And that would limit the amount of time that these slaves would have to conspire some kind of escape or some kind of revolution. That's what every tyrant and dictator wants to prevent. And therefore, even the food that our ancestors were fed was was along those lines to keep us down and to keep us enslaved. Um, That's why, by the way, when Moshe came to the Jewish people, after God sent Moses to redeem the Jewish people... They had a very hard time hearing him. It says in the Torah, The Jews couldn't hear Moshe. They were too overrun by work. Right, you know when like you're just so exhausted and somebody comes to you with this great idea and you can't even hear them? You can't process it. I'm wondering now during this Corona time, whether we can start processing certain things that we can't hear. Now maybe the anxiety and the fear has made it harder for some of us to process certain things. But the extra downtime, perhaps, uh, gives us a little more opportunity for introspection so we can start maybe processing certain things that we couldn't hear before. Uh, Tomorrow we are going to speak about um, some other ways of applying the lessons and the messages of ancient Egypt to our own day and age. Uh, I have some really inspirational stories as well that I wanna share with you this week Um, And these are broader messages than just Passover per se. But Passover has so many fundamental concepts of life, of Jewish existence, of what it means to be a Jew, and the kind of messages that we all need to really keep ourselves pumped and alive and healthy and even growing, growing during this time. And as I said on Friday, happiness doesn't come from running after happiness. That's what circumstantial highs and lows give you. Happiness comes from a life filled with meaning and purpose. If we can make this this time meaningful and purposeful, we'll also find happiness as well. That's my blessing to all of you, that we should be happy now, because we're involved in something meaningful and purposeful, in working on our mitzrayim, working on what's constricting us, enabling us to grow, and keeping up our Jewish traditions in a way that will bring a great, great kiddush Hashem, a sanctification God's name. The other things I want to do also during this week is share with you some of the interesting questions I've been getting of what to do when you can't, God forbid, attend a funeral. Had a friend, an MGE alumni, who lost his dad. All sorts of crazy situations. Can't even go to his own father's funeral. I just attended a bar mitzvah on Zoom last Friday. We had a bris. David Broxmeyer, uh, David Navar Broxmeyer. Some interesting, really uh, fascinating things that have come up, unprecedented. And we'll talk about some of this stuff as well as we go through the week. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 1230. Um, also, be, we'll be giving a Passover workshop tomorrow night, Monday night, on, um, on Facebook Live as well. And I um, want to wish you guys a happy, yeah, and healthy day. Thank you all for tuning in. If any questions come up during the day, please feel free. Uh, Mark Wilds at Gmail. You can email me. Uh, you can call me, 917-841-8870. It's an honor and a pleasure to be able to learn with you again. And uh, have an awesome day, guys.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Wildscast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wilds. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.